Now it's time for Civic Conversations, a monthly podcast collaboration between WFHB and the League of Women Voters. Our guest today is Jennifer Hahn, lead volunteer for the Indiana chapter of Moms Demand Action. Civic Conversations is available online at WFHB.org or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You're listening to Civic Conversations, a podcast collaboration between the League of Women Voters, Bloomington, Monroe County, and WFHB. I'm Jim Allison, your host, and our producer is Becky Hill. We're pleased to say that you can find Civic Conversations every month on WFHB at 93.1 and 98.1 FM. Today, we're pleased to welcome Jennifer Hahn of the Indiana Chapter of Moms Demand Action to talk about reasonable gun sense measures. Jennifer, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. Jennifer, first of all, can you tell me what Moms Demand Action is, how it got started, when it got started, and please include the significance of the, the color orange and tell us who was Hattie Pendleton. Right, so uh, I think people might be surprised to know that Moms Demand Action started right here in the Hoosier State. Uh, our founder, Shannon Watts, uh, lived in Zionsville at the time, and she was folding laundry when she happened to see the Sandy Hook news come across the screen in front of her. Um, she did what a lot of us do. She went to the internet to find out if there was a group of women who were doing the work of gun violence prevention. When she didn't find what she wanted, she went on to Facebook uh, and formed her own group. Um, and since then, uh, Moms Demand Action has grown to 6 million volunteers nationwide. We have chapters in all 50 states, and we include uh, mothers and others. So men, women, anyone who wants to be involved uh, in fighting gun violence. Uh, I see. Yeah. And then you asked about wear orange. Yes. Uh, we wear orange uh, as the color of the vi uh, gun violence prevention movement. Uh, in 2013, Hadia Pendleton, she was murdered in Chicago at the age of 15, just two weeks after she performed at Barack Obama's inauguration parade. And in her memory, her friends asked everyone to wear orange. Uh, and so now, the first weekend of June, we have a big event that we call Wear Orange. And we wear the color orange. We lift up the voices of survivors and those who have been taken by gun violence. Um, and just bring awareness to the issue of gun violence. I see. Uh, can you tell us how uh, Moms in Action might relate to another organization called Every Town for Gun Safety? Sure. So Every Town is sort of the umbrella organization. Uh, Moms Demand Action is under that umbrella. Students Demand Action, Every Town Survivor Network, the Gun Sense Action Network, and Mayors Against Illegal Guns. And then we all kind of work together in our own realm. Uh, but come together as activists to bring awareness to gun violence and change the conversation about guns in the United States. Let's talk a little bit about advocacy. What does Mob Demand Action advocate as reasonable gun safety? <laughs> How much time do we have? <laughs> no, uh, this is actually a really good conversation because of the way our gun laws are written in our country our advocacy varies uh, from state to state. So part of our work 
in every state is to make sure that we elect gun sense candidates up and down the ballot. Uh, these would be legislators who are focused on fixing gun violence issues. Uh, we also advocate for solutions to gun violence that are evidence-based and fact-driven. Uh, and then also we have some educational programs that are non-political, non-partisan in order to aware, uh, raise the awareness of gun violence prevention. Evidence-based, I do like that phrase. We've had a lot of mass shootings in the U.S. since 1982 and even before then. Has Moms Demand Action been able to raise the specter of mass shootings and maybe motivate change in our gun laws? Now, I think that oftentimes mass shootings are what grab the attention of the American public. Um, and it's often what brings volunteers into our movement. Uh, for me personally, it was the shooting at Parkland, Florida. Uh, that brought me off the sidelines and made me get involved. So I think after every mass shooting, we often ask ourselves, how could this have prevented, how could we have prevented this from happening? Um, Moms Demand Action volunteers have been instrumental in getting red flag laws and safe storage laws passed in states all over the country. Uh, and those are just two pieces of legislation that are proven to work to reduce mass shootings. And we'll continue to show up in Indiana and we'll demand the same thing here. We'll talk about those red flag laws a little bit later, but for the time being, let's get into a question that I'm sure is on many minds. A lot of people wonder about this. What is it that keeps the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, from funding research on gun violence? Right. So <laughs> there was an amendment that was passed at one time that said that if the CDC studied uh, gun violence, and they found out that that was going to lead to further restrictions on gun ownership, then the CDC couldn't study it. So that is why we're kind of in this uh, place where we are when it comes to studying gun violence. Uh, we have to treat gun violence like the public health crisis that it is and use some of those same strategies. But unfortunately, we just haven't been able to study it like it should be at the federal level uh, because of the actions of our legislatures. Okay, so there we are. I've heard a lot about permitless carry laws proliferating among the states across the country. Can you tell us what is the status of such a law in Indiana and how it might affect us here? So we saw this all over the country this year. This was one of the pet projects uh, for the gun lobby. Um, fortunately, we were able to defeat it here in Indiana in 2021. Uh, what this law would have done was it would have removed our permitting system on who can carry a loaded concealed firearm in public. Uh, we already have a very weak permitting system in Indiana as it stands. You only have to apply once in your lifetime and it's completely free as of July 1st. Um, in 2021, we are fortunate because the state police, uh, the police chiefs association um, and some sheriffs came out um, against this law. And they said that this would make policing inherently more dangerous for them. Mm -hmm. uh, so fortunately, it did not pass. Our legislators listened to the um, request of the police force and from activists like us who asked them not to do this. Uh, and we're fortunate because we know how it ended up in other states who have had this on the books for a little bit longer. Um, Missouri, for instance, is a state very similar to Indiana in both its culture, its population, the rural versus urban divide. Um, since they've passed permitless carry, as well as some other uh, loosening of gun laws like we have here in Indiana, 
their gun violence rates have just skyrocketed, especially amongst uh, the Black community and the children in Missouri. So we're very fortunate that this law did not pass, and we're going to be fighting it again in 2022. Okay. Now tell us about Indiana's red flag law, which is also known as the Jake Laird law. What is it, and is it working? Right. So Indiana was actually one of the first states to pass a red flag law, which I think um, is kind of interesting uh, because so often we are not in the spotlight for having, uh, you know, strong gun policy. But this is one of the ones that we can actually celebrate. Uh, what this law does um, is that if you have you know, a family member, a friend, a student who you are concerned about being in a mental health crisis, crisis um, you could call your local police department and say, I'm worried about my friend, I'm worried about my sister, um, and I know that they have weapons in their home. So the police could go in, they could uh, investigate the situation and determine if the weapons should be seized from this individual. Um, they then turn that over to a judge who has to make a determination within a certain time frame. Um, these uh, orders, they follow due process, they are constitutional, and they're only meant to be while this person is in a mental health crisis. Um, and then after that, they can receive their guns back as long as they are following whatever the court has prescribed to them as um, a treatment plan. And um, so it's all very uh, easy to follow. It's easy to uh, enact. In Indiana, we could do a little bit better job with some loopholes that still exist. Uh, the law hasn't really grown with the time since 2005, but that's something for us as advocates to continue to go to the state house uh, and work on. If, okay, that sounds good. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about uh, universal background checks. What what would they do for Indiana? So universal background checks would be the one thing that we could do that would make a huge difference here in our state. Uh, basically, in Indiana, if you go to a firearms dealer, a gun store, a federally licensed dealer, you're getting a background check when you go and purchase that gun. However, we don't follow the same rules when it comes to stranger to stranger sales. So stranger to stranger sales, I could meet whoever I want to meet, sell them a gun. I never have to perform a background check on that person. So if we could enact a background check legislation uh, bill that would cover those private sales, we'd be doing much better. This is one way that guns get trafficked around our state and over the state line. Uh, we often hear about Chicago being this violent center, even though they have strong gun laws. But the fact of the matter is, is that 60% of the guns used in Chicago crimes come from out of state. And of that, 20% come directly from the Hoosier state. So we need to do a better job of getting those background checks done on all gun sales, not just to keep Hoosiers safe, but to keep our neighbors safe as well. All right. How can local government, if it can, how can it reduce gun violence, do you think? Well, unfortunately, uh, municipalities in Indiana are hamstrung because we have very strong preemption laws, which prevent city county councils from passing legislation that is stronger than a state law. Uh, we saw this in Bloomington when the local government was prevented from banning guns from the farmer's market uh, because it was occurring on city property. So with that being said, we need to know who is on the ballot when it comes to sheriff and commissioner and city county council, because the opposite 
is not true. They can actually weaken the local gun laws uh, and including making uh, counties sanctuary counties where there are no gun laws at all. And we've seen that happen uh, across Indiana. Um, and that actually hurts all Hoosiers, not just those Hoosiers who are living in that particular county. So that's one thing to always be on alert about on those down ballot races. Okay, that's definitely something to keep in mind all the time then. Uh, ancient history. In the 1930s, Americans welcomed, actually welcomed sensible federal restrictions that are still in place, restrictions on automatic weapons, the Tommy gun. What's changed since then? Is it the financial power of the gun lobby? And how has Moms Demand Action confronted that particular lobby? Well, the gun lobby, yes, they are fighting for the profits of the gun manufacturers. We believe that we are the counterweight to the gun lobby. Uh, the difference is, is that we are mothers and others, and we are fighting for the lives of our children and their safety. Uh, and I believe that's going to put us on the right side of history. Okay, federal law. Do we need federal law to reduce gun proliferation? Could it really work, do you think? And where does Congress stand on this matter? And where does the Supreme Court stand on this matter? So federal laws would help standardize some of those patchwork laws that we have all over the United States, especially when it comes to background check legislation. Um, we haven't had a director of the ATF since 2015. Uh, so we need the Senate to act and confirm David Chipman, who is President Biden's nominee for that role. Um, that way we can have somebody who's going after the rogue gun dealers who aren't following the laws that we have on the books. Um, and then as far as the Supreme Court is concerned, we need to remember the Heller decision that even though it opened kind of a wave of this loosening of gun laws that we've seen across the country, and Scalia wrote in his decision that the Second Amendment is not unlimited and that guns do not belong in sensitive spaces. Well, anyhow, you would advocate that people call their senator. <laughs> definitely, that. definitely. Okay, what about the president? Can President Biden, do you think, make any significant changes via executive action? Certainly, and he has. Our volunteers made sure that we had the strongest gun sense presidential ticket elected in 2020. And so far, he's lived up to our expectations. Uh, he's included billions of dollars in the American Rescue Plan to fund gun violence intervention. Uh, he's taken some executive action on ghost gun pr proliferation. Um, and we expect that he'll continue to live up to his promises to combat gun violence and view it through this public health lens um, and take action in whatever means is necessary. Okay, good. Uh, tell us, uh, is there a Bloomington chapter of Moms Demand and how can we reach it if, it, if there is one? Yes, there are fantastic advocates in Bloomington. Uh, if you want to join our Moms Demand Action group, you can just text on your phone the word READY to the number 64433. Uh, and that will get you into our database. Um, we have a Facebook page. It is Bloomington Moms Demand Action. You can search for them um, and get put into touch with them that way. Uh, but we will take all the help we can get because here in Indiana, it is an uphill battle. Okay, thank you, Jennifer Hahn, for a marvelous overview of this issue. And to our listening audience, thanks for listening to us on Civic Conversations. This is Jim Allison, League of Women Voters, Bloomington, Monroe County. The League is a nonpartisan, grassroots, citizen-led organization that has fought since 1920 
to improve our government and engage all citizens in the decisions that impact their lives. Next month, please join us when we talk about redistricting reform with Julia Vaughn of Common Cause.